Hi, this is Gary Puckett, Once Upon a Time of Gary Puckett and the Union Gap, and you are listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast with listeners in 192 countries. I'm Robert Miller, your host. My guests today, and this is a special day for me, are Bob, Paul, and Susan, three members of the Cowsills, the family-based singing group that had such a bunch of hits in the 1960s, including The Rain, The Park, and Other Things, Air, and Indian Lake. Six siblings, plus their mom. I want to hear about the mom thing. Between 1967 and 1970, they released five albums. They even had their own comic book. Can you believe that? And in the middle of this episode, as I do with all my musician guests, we're going to do a song fest where I've picked out with these folks some of their best hits. We're going to play a little bit of them. We're going to get the backstories. And nobody else does this in podcasts. And, you know, I feature a song of mine in every episode underneath the introduction and at the end, and I always try to make the song relevant somehow to my guests. This was a little bit of a challenge today, but the song that I picked out is a song that I wrote called Because She Said So from the album Play, which is by my band Project Grand Slam. I chose this song, now listen to this, because Mama Cowsill was in the band at one point, and I'm sure that they did whatever she said just because she said so. <laughs> so I thought that worked. Boom. <laughs> so Bob, Paul, and Susan Castle, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hello. Oh, it's great to be here, Robert. And to your guests, we love you. Well, thanks so much. And yeah, we might have said yes to mom because she said to say yes, but but that was in normal life. On the stage and in the music, a mom kind of followed us around and said, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Would she say the same thing? That's what I want to know. Okay. Or was she really the power behind the whole scene? She was not the power behind anything. She she was five foot one, Robert. Okay. And all of us, we were always over the top of her. She would maybe take like a broomstick. That was the only, (laughs) we would take the stick and break it in front of her only for six months. Cause the next six months, dad would be home. But for those six months, we had a ball. You towered over her. That's what you're telling me. All right. You know, you guys dominated in the 1960s. I love that era. That was the era that I came of age musically in. I've had so many artists from the 60s on this show. Got to keep that music alive. I just want to know, what was it like as you were going through the 60s? You had all these great English groups. You had other great American groups. You guys are in the middle of that maelstrom. Tell me what it was like for you. Well, in the beginning of it, we were a group that were, was looking for a direction. And I'm talking about 15, 13 year olds, 10 year old, nine year old, but we still had a group. We started very, very young. We got into folk music. We got into Ricky Nelson. We got into Everly Brothers, but it was the arrival of the Beatles uh, and our noticing of them having come to, 
to our shores and the music they brought, the whole English invasion took our group and taught us how to look, what to wear, how to wear your hair. Here's the gear you buy. Here's the songs you learn. You can write your own songs. And we're mid-teens. We're soaking this up like sponge. Now, look, you got to listen to the radio. You got to listen to the records to figure it all out. No one's on television much. No one's coming to your town to give a concert and there's no internet. So your ears are your path. And so you develop them. You know how nature is. So we got good ears and we learned Beatles songs by the radio. Then they did their Ed Sullivan appearances and school was in. We all watched. We figured, oh, that's how you do it. And we were off and running. And personally give them credit for at least giving us direction. We were off and running on their arrival, but they really gave us some direction. I mean, you're a family, okay? You weren't just a group of folks that kind of met somewhere at school or something like that. <laughs> How did the whole family thing get started? Were you guys singing together from like from your early age or something? Well, a number of us were, of course, there's seven kids gonna be in the family. Now two took up the guitar. Well, that's two mom and dad don't have to worry about. They have an interest. So Bill and I are left, <laughs> Bill and I are left to our interests at the age of seven and eight and teach ourselves these guitars. We loved it. We had instrumental bands patterned after the ventures in junior high. And we're doing, you, you know, sleep walk, walk, don't run. Wait, whoa, I didn't know you had a, a surf band. Too cool. <laughs> Called the Islanders with Bob Stuckey. We had a, a nice surf band, an instrumental band because I'd gotten the silver tone guitar that had the echo knob on the amp. And we were off and running with the pipeline, which we thought was better than Wipeout, and, and having oh, that geez, kind of fun. man, you guys were cool. And singing, you know, we're singing the sad movies is a song. I got to sing Traveling Man as a solo at the boys club dance. And so we're, we're in that mode when the Beatles arrive and say, you can be a lot hipper than you are, you guys. And we took up with it. Even, even dad walked by us once and said, what's with the hair? You know, oh God, the threat of the Beatles. We're living it. All right. What do you guys say? I'm a list, I'm I'm listening to Bob here. Let me hear something from uh Susan and, and Paul. What was what was it like for you going through this era? Paul, you want to go next? Yes, man, it was a ball. I mean, it was great. And I don't really think, you know, we took we took the lead from all these English bands coming over. But I don't think we were, you know, thinking about them that much. Like maybe Elvis was thinking about them in in a in a different way. We just loved it, and we were in our own world, and and we were able. We what we did know is that hey, wow, man, because we could read. You look at Billboard, and we're up there. Hey, the top five people are like Beatles and Stones, and and we're up there with them. You know, so that was a trip, and and you know, but we were little, so we, it it almost didn't have area to go to our head we didn't think you know we were anything special we were just trying to have this fun and make this music were you guys driving the bus on this or was it your parents that were you know leading the charge how did it happen the charge was led by the by the boys wanting yeah. to be music the the mission was accomplished by the grown-ups right bob all right well here's where the grown-ups get credit eventually the kids are getting to sound pretty good in the house and it's becoming a bit undeniable that uh, we're going to do this and, and this is our thing and you got to give dad credit he he got us the gear you know he got us the box amps the Ludwig drums the Gretsch guitars and George Robert. he got us everything we needed okay eventually and then he understood that we were talented and started taking us around uh, we're playing teenage nightclubs we're playing clubs we're playing brown university in high school i mean and and we eventually get a, a gig at a local 
club, Dorian's on Bannister's Wharf, where we're going to settle in as a residency there every weekend, playing Beatles songs. Where was this? Newport, Rhode Island. Newport, Newport Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. Okay. And playing Beatles songs, when I feel finds a hit, we're playing it that night at the club. Everyone knows it, and we can nail it. We always could do the Beatles. So you're doing cover songs. You got a thing going with the whole family unit here. But you made a big leap, okay? And I remember reading something about the Tonight Show or the Today Show, one of those that was a big break for you. So how did that happen? I, I know the story. I can give it. Um, it was in Newport, Rhode Island yet again. And uh, the America's Cup was there um, every four years, I believe. And so it was a big thing in Newport, Rhode Island when the America's Cup was in. And people came from all over, you know, and a lot of VIP people and all the heavies of the world would all go into Newport, Rhode Island during that time. And the guys were playing at a place called Dorian's, which was a club down on Thames Street, right by the yachts. And uh, these people were in the audience, you know, and they were just there and they saw the guys and, you know, gosh, the it was crazy. Show. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking about the Today Show. And then yeah. these people came up and said, hey, you look at we're working. You know, they might have even been PAs at the Today Show. And uh, but anyway, after that, the guys ended up on the Today Show. So they asked you on the show because they saw you in the nightclub. Yep. Yes, because we were very young and four brothers. Hey, look at these brothers. What are, you what are they doing in a nightclub? No one's saying they probably can't even pronounce our last name at the time. <laughs> so they're going to look at these kids. Oh, my God, bring them to New York. And they gave us, I got to give it to them, 20 minutes of, of cover tune time on the Today Show with Hugh Downs and Barbara Walters looking on. And, <laughs> and here's what I remember because I wasn't in the band. But we all got to go to the event known as the Today Show. And I remember being there and my brother John and I were like so excited and we were kind of running around and playing and Barbara Walters, it was 5 a.m. And we're like unglued with excitement and energy and Barbara, Barbara Walters was just like, can somebody shut those kids up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kids and animal acts. True story. <laughs> Kids and animals. <laughs> but I mean, so you got on, you, you were playing cover songs even on the Today Show. Is that what I'm hearing? We didn't know what so. else to do. We didn't. Wow. We, that's all we did in life was play cover tunes. God, would you not like to see that? Now, was footage? mom there? Didn't she sing 500 Miles? No. What show am I thinking of then? I wonder. No, mom wasn't on the Today Show. Barbara McNair, but not not the Today Show. That was just the band of Dorians because that's what that was. Yeah. We all got to go. I mean, what an incredible break, okay, to get on a national show like that. You're not really a national act at that point. At all, you know, you're not no. singing your own material at that point. You're singing cover songs, and you get a break like that. It's amazing. All right, so what happened after that? When did you start to get into the whole recording side of things? Because Johnny Nass was watching the Today Show. Uh, That's how we met Johnny. Yeah, I, or swear I learned Sims. so much. I, I like the fact that we're introducing these facts to your sister here. I was <laughs> a very little kid. I wasn't even the band here. I'm six years old. Well, when did they let you in the band? When I was eight. Eight. Oh, I see. Yeah, I was about five or six when Johnny Nash saw them on. Yeah, yeah. Today she's show. just walking around like Gilda Radner on Saturday Night Live. Oh, <laughs> wow, wow, what's going on? What's going on? But listen, Johnny Nash saw us, and and we signed. With, this is Johnny uh, Nash. I can see clearly now, Johnny Nash. Uh huh. Yeah. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. Our pal. At the time, we're impressed because he's the singer on the Hercules theme song from the cartoon we watched Hercules, as kids. Hercules, only the glory, And that's Johnny Nash. And this guy's calling us. <laughs> this is terrific. So we go to New York City, and we're going to 
be introduced to Johnny's World, which I, the fastest way to get everyone there is Cosby Black. Okay, Upper East Side, our writers are black. The label is black. Johnny and Dan, everyone's black except us in this in this experiment we're going to do. And we got signed to Joda Records. Yeah, and every they had to answer, why are you signing these white <laughs> all that business. <laughs> And it's not going to work, but but we're introduced to Jimmy Reed songs. We record Bright Lights, Big City, You Got Me Dizzy, Big Boss Man. And we're in the studio with these guys learning stuff. We're writing songs with them and, and on our own. And it was a real education that lasted about two years before we put out a record. It stiffed and they dropped us from the label. <laughs> Welcome to the record business. No kidding. But I'm, I'm just so curious. Why did they pick this group of white kids to be on basically a black label. What was this thinking going on? You were going to be the breakthrough for them or something? If you heard these kids, I think you would have maybe known. <laughs> Our brother Bill could sound like he is signed with Motown, okay? So we got into Motown songs as part of our cover songs too. We were covering everything. And Motown was right in the thick of it, man. We were all over those rhythm section, bass, and all those songs, we learned them. And it even is part of our roots to, to this very day. But back then it was a big part. We're doing harmonica instrumentals, not lead guitar. We were, we're all over the the Jimmy Reed and the and the that whole scene. It was just so cool, you know? And as artists, it we evolved in our years with Johnny Ness, because we're gonna go over to Shelby Singleton and Murky Records next and get picked up there and meet Artie Kornfeld, and things are gonna really change. Yes, your entire sound changed at that point. But I mean, that's what's so interesting. You start out as a as kind of a local band, a family band. You're singing, you know, cover hits. You get discovered on the Today Show. That's amazing. Johnny Nash and the whole Black Record Company picks you up. But then when you make it, you make it in a completely different genre. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Miller. My new single, All of the Time, is a playful, whimsical love song. It's light and airy and exudes the happiness and joy of being in love. The reviewers love it too. Melody Maker has given it five stars and calls it pure bliss, an intimate sound with abundant melodic riches. Pop Icon also gave it five stars and called it ecstasy. You can stream all of the time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or any of the other streaming platforms. The links are in the show notes to this episode, and you can download it from the pgsstore.com. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to the podcast and give us a nice review too, if you're so inclined. You can do all of that and check out all of our episodes by visiting our website at followyourdreampodcast.com. I want to thank you for listening and keep on rocking. And I think it would be good to go into the whole song fest thing at this point, because I want people to hear some of those songs again. <laughs> All right. Your first hit was The Rain, The Park and Other Things. She didn't seem to care. She sat there and smiled at me.
tell us about that. Tell us about the experience of recording it and the backstories. My experience is that I would sit in on a couch and unpeel those <laughs> grease markers Asleep. <laughs> that they would, they had these pens that they would write on the tape, the big right. tape, and it had a thread and some paper and you would pull the thread, it would peel, and then the grease pen would go down, down, down. And that's what I remember and sleeping. Are you still eight years old at that point? No, no, I'm like... only like six or seven. I'm not oh, even six on that or record. Seven. Yeah. All right. So you're just annoying everybody sitting around there, huh? Yeah. That's what I get. And riding a chair up and down that little ramp that would be on the side of the console. Like there's a, a ramp. And so you could get a chair and like ride down it, push it back up, ride down it, push it back up, ride down it. Did you guys get uh, paid to babysit for your sister? Is that the deal? They didn't have to. I took care of myself. No, Paul was, <laughs> Paul, you want to take a sidebar on that real quick? Oh, just, yeah. No, I was in charge of the babies they were called. And they were called babies till they were yeah. teenagers and they hated it. Well, Susan didn't hate it so much, but Barry and John really made it known. They didn't like being called the babies, which I can do, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I was in charge of those three. So. Paul's a middle child. And so. he did not get paid. No. But, but, and I did not get paid. And he probably handed me the chair and the pencil and said, sit over there. Yeah. Shut up till you There's fall asleep. Order. There's the couch. <laughs> Paul walked the border between the three young ones and the three older ones. But but back to Rain the Park. Now, remember, we went through Shelby Singleton. We went through Mercury Records. We got dropped from them also after a couple of bombs. And now we're in the 11th grade and, and grade school, and we're still plowing away here. Rain the Park and other things is going to introduce the concept of our mother. Now, we're going to record that entire song with Artie Kornfeld without mom. The one you hear has mom on it, but... After the recording and before it went to MGM, not me, not Paul, not Susan, God knows what happened, but the earthquake came that mom's coming in the group. And it's like, who's coming in the group? Are you serious? And of course, we're on our third label coming up with three flops behind us. We can't say anything because we can't go, well, our plan hasn't worked. So mom's in. Wait, 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 got to stop you there. Did she want to come in or did Artie Kornfeld decide she was going to come in? How did this happen? No, it happened because we think our dad, our dad put her in. Look, it was okay. Historically, it's okay. At the time, it's not okay. Artie Kornfeld wanted nothing to do, nor did we, with our mother being in this band. What group would? I mean, people think, all right, it's a cute story now, but think at the time. Okay, boys, here's the solution. We figured it out. <laughs> Your mom's... Anyway, so we make this record. We go back into the studio. Mom has to be on it, to, to be real. And this is because your dad pushed her into this thing. Is that what you're saying? Between dad and, and Lady Sobel, who's going to be our manager, we think they came up with this. We're almost certain it had to be dad. I'm okay. right, Pauline. Don't you agree? I'm pretty sure. He was always, he, dad was vaudeville. This is like the, the mystery of the cow sills 50 years later. Nobody knows the answer here. No. No, no, we don't know yeah. about that. We don't know where the money yeah. went. We don't know a lot. We were kids. We were little kids and they were parents and we, they never talked to us. Listen, you have to admit it was a good shtick to have mom come in because you're right. At the time, that didn't happen. And it led into the whole Partridge family thing, which we'll talk about in a little bit. We were the first family of, of pop rock. There was no family band. I know. The whole rock group that candidly was dropped from two labels had to take a big turn here because mom's here. And, and then we go into the studio, we put her on the record, and now we have a hit. Okay, this path is now underway no one's going to stop it and this is the direction forget the harmonica instrumentals and jimmy reed we're now this okay 
They don't want to hear about Johnny Nash at that point. They just want the next Rain Park and other things, I'm sure. Of and it, the move did differentiate us from every group of the day who wanted to be the Beatles. There you go. There you there go. There you go. You know, actually, I, Robert, I really think that dad was just watching the TV one night and he saw the King family come on. He was looking at that and he was going, damn. As we watched that a lot. We're going to put the mom in this band. They've got their moms all over their band. Very good. I have to tell you, it was a brilliant idea. Yeah. I may, yeah. Maybe you guys rebelled against it at the time because it was so outside the box, but that's why it worked. It was outside the box. Okay. Oh, we, we matured rapidly. As it went up the chart. That's but, right. When it hit oh, number clearly. one, you loved it. It was your idea from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it was my idea. Mom, I wanted then. you in that band all along. Yeah. It was just because of the other guy that we couldn't put you. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know what? Not it's interesting. Really. You know, uh, just to this point, and then we can move on. Um, Bill, I really, you know, you never saw Bill uptight about this, you know, I mean, Bill was a professional guy, but he was also an emotional guy. And you can watch him all through stuff. He, you know, he loved mom. And, and I think at one point when he realized, hey, this is it. I think he embraced it a little bit because. Yeah, I do too, Paul. He just seems so nice all the time to her. And he, and he could be a cranky fella. <laughs> he could be, but Bill was very old fashioned. He was like from another time in before, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. He was a kind of a kind of a uh, Puritan kind of cat. And mom was to be respected. You know, right, <laughs> I right. don't know where he learned and, it. And he would sing harmonies with mom as well. You know? Yeah. And it, and yeah, I, I agree with Paul. I think he thought it, that that um, I think he thought it was kind of cool, maybe in some weird way. Well, yeah, like Bob said, after it went to number one. <laughs> Cool as heck. <laughs> then it became very cool. Yeah, very cool. All right. So you got a number one record. You got a number one mom in the group as well. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whether you like nice it or not, say. you got a sound, you got a look, you got a whole thing going. So tell us what happened after that. Well, we're going to mess around. Look, our whole history is up and down and up and down and up and down. It's a roller coaster. We have the number one hit in the country. The Raina Parker and other things is there. The team is set. We met Artie Kornfeld. The Castles have their George Martin. We're going to have 20 hits. But Artie tells Bill about pot, okay, in a conversation. And that conversation matter, subject matter, got back to our dad. And he fired Artie on the spot, bought him out of his contract. And uh, the whole thing was dumped back into Bill and me for producing the next album and producing We Can Fly. And this whole thing got turned upside down right then and there. And uh, the challengers were going to begin. Everything was going to be a challenge from that point on and had been before that, actually. So, Well, it's hard enough in the best of circumstances to stay at the top of the charts. So if you add anything else into it, like you just said, you know, you just got a couple of strikes against you, but you went on to have other hits. Let's yes. go to hair. Let's go to that next one. Give me a head with hair, long, beautiful hair, shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxing, waxing. Give me down to there, shoulder length longer. So tell us how that came about. I'll go this time. Go, Susan. This is so fun. What a history. Carl Reiner, not Rob. Carl Reiner 
came to uh, somebody in our team and said, we want the councils for this TV show that was going to be a two-hour special on NBC. And it was like the culture of our time from fashion to hair to music. And Carl thought it would be plum funny if the Cowsills were to dress up like hippies, including that mom, and cover hair from this musical because it's part of the pop culture of what's going on. So we got asked to do it. We had to go into a studio to record the song. It was just to be for the show. It ended up one of our biggest hits and the details belong to Bob because I am only nine at this time. Bob? <laughs> I'm waiting for you to grow up, Susan, okay? We got to get to that point. Well, you need to move on down the road. <laughs> yeah, youngest singer on the top 10. But yeah. hair, you know, when we heard it, we knew nothing of, of any of thing about hair or a Broadway musical. You know, we're living our own life. And oh, this is, but we love the song. We had an we assignment. Have to lip, we have to lip sync it uh, because we're going to be moving around. Back then, lip syncing was good. And you, you did it to play it safe anyway. They'll mess up your sound back then on television. So it dictated the arrangement. We're all going to take a burst for this TV special. We're going to, because if you got a TV special, that was very big back then. That's like a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. The United States is going to see you. There's only three stations. You're probably out, you know, attracting the other, whatever is going on on the other two stations. So we're going to have a big audience. It's even uh, bigger than the to Today M Show. Yeah, we sent this <laughs> recording to MGM. It took us two days to, to get it done before we headed on our Indian Lake tour. And we sent it to MGM. We had had Indian Lake as a hit. That's all MGM knew of us. When we sent them here, they didn't recognize the group, the song, like, who stole the cow sills from MGM is their reaction and wanted nothing to do with it. So it sat in the tank for seven months, but then the NBC special's coming. And that's a big deal. So I think we think MGM got with the program and said, look, we put the song out. It coordinates with the special. The country sees it. And unbeknownst to all of us, Three Dog Night has their story. Aquarius is going to come out. Easy to be, you know, uh, Good Morning Starshine. The, these are all going headed all toward the, the songs top five. from here. Yeah. So you recorded your version before all these other things hit? Oh, yeah. We knew nothing about it. Just sat there uh, while we were, had to hit, hit the road. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. It was oh, for this, this TV show. We knew that. And yeah. later yeah. for that. We did not know we were about to get caught up in a phenomenon of hair that you is going to be tangled in hair. To <laughs> it's going to be our big it's going to be our biggest seller and all it was was a lipstick assignment so you never lips lip sync never that's a lipstick lip yeah. sync assignment <laughs> say that fast five times <laughs> so you never know hey, listen the question did we record in a studio a tv studio in san francisco when we did the hair video where were we in san francisco we, recorded we were TV in san special. francisco Yep. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah. Wow. The tour ended there. <laughs> so that's the where we saw Paint Your Wagon, Susan. Right. Yep. Holy, that's probably why I remember not the hair thing. It was going to see Paint Your Wagon, why right. it was imprinted. <laughs> remember Ed Cariff was with us when we I went. I do remember all, yes. I remember Ed was with us because I had the wig and I wanted pictures of that hair. <laughs> anyway, sorry guys, Ed I digress. The MGM photographer assigned to us at the time. <laughs> Susan, this seems like a real educational experience for you to do this podcast. You, this is we're reliving your life here. I Robert, like I will tell you that in the couple of weeks that we've been doing a, a lot of press for the release of Rhythm of the World, which comes out tomorrow, I have rehashed and heard stories that A, I didn't know about, B, I got to ask about. So I have learned a lot. Excellent. I'm glad you they let you in the young, group. Susan. I was a very little young. baby. <laughs> and I remember what I remember.
All right. So hair was a big hit. And at the same time, you were doing the Indian Lake tour because that was your other big hit. Tell us about that one. Well, Tony Romeo <laughs> wrote that song, Indian Lake. Sure and did. <laughs> somewhere along the line here, We Can Fly came out and that album came out. But now they stuck us all with a guy named Wes Farrell. And he was a big producer. He produced actually the Partridge family after us. And they brought the song to Bill and Bob. And Bill and Bob just about gagged when they saw it and and heard what it was supposed to be and billy just you know look at god love him here he gets he gets one dude he gets one his mother's in the band and then he gets dude that he's going to record a song called indian lake which he just thought was the stupidest song he ever heard <laughs> well we went and uh, recorded that because you know we really didn't have any power to say no to anything and 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 it was a big hit Okay, but the thing is, is that so now Bill, he hears that Brian Wilson and him and Brian were dear friends, that Brian just loved the song. Okay. And the recording we did and everything about it. Yeah, and 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 gravy, the guy that does the the feed the food for the uh wavy for, gravy travels around, he loved that song. And so it was okay with Bill at one point, but you know, it really was never okay because I remember when we had to do the war hoops. In the studio, man. And I don't even know if Bill Warhooped with us. No, man, he was disgusted that I remembered that pithy face he could get when no, he really there's hated. There's no war hoops. Yeah. Are you allowed to sing that song now with the whole, you know, woke and PC thing going on? Funny you should ask. We are allowed to sing it. We have eliminated the war hoops out of uh, respect for the times we're performing in. Absolutely. Okay. Do we think that Indian Lake or Peter Pan, who actually has a song called What Makes the Red Man Red on it, you do we think either of those would have flown today? Absolutely not. When we said we don't like Indian Lake, everybody in the world around us would have said, you're correct, don't, don't, don't do it. But that wasn't the world we lived in. Our job was to take Indian Lake and put such a, an arrangement on that and to make it so uh, summary. And if you heard the demo, you, you can hear why the reaction is, what the heck is that? The demo is not the recording. That's a whole different ball game. what you do to the song. And Paul said about power. We didn't have power. Yeah, we went in and did. But where we did exert the power was when we did get in the studio and what we did to that song. So, well, you know, I, I could feel badly for you having to do things that you weren't enamored of at the time. But, you know, you made them into big hits. So there's there nothing much to be apologetic about. Indian Lake was like a summer Slurpee. <laughs> yeah. You don't yeah, have to worked. feel bad for Put us. you right it back at the work. top of the charts again. All right. You've had quite a run with all of these songs. Tell us about that new album. You got something coming out. You alluded to it, Susan. So tell us about this one. Well, we have a new record coming out tomorrow on Omnivore Records. It's called Rhythm of the World. I pay attention to the light outside, how it moves through the sky. It's my Signal is clear, telling me what to do. 
Bob, take it from there, because you're so good at details. I just like being your intro gal. Well, it's, it's got 11 songs on it. Is that what you mean? <laughs> That's what I mean. No, listen, we we have put out, this is our third album in probably 40, 50 years, since 78. We had the Cocaine Drain album, no one knows about in 78. Global in 98, no one knows about. Now this rhythm of the world. The difference today is you do find us artistically where we're supposed to be. The 11 songs were written by the three of us the bulk of and we brought on some a few songs we've always wanted to record if we got back in the studio susan has been begging her brothers to make a record for 12 to 13 years we have our touring group for 18 years the cow sills who doesn't want to bring your touring group into the studio if you got a shot so we meet rock positano who's going to executive produce this for us and gets us into dockside studios where we make this record we were on summer tour every summer one summer the three of us got in a writing frenzy because we hadn't done it before. And that just took off. We were on a bus for three months. So we started writing on the bus and in the dressing rooms and in the backstage and uh, all of it. And it was so satisfactory. The songs seemed to us to be good and we got to record them in a way that we had always wanted to. And it's a blessed project and we're happy to bring it forth. Nice work. Yeah, listen, the fact that you had two albums that nobody had ever heard of you mentioned and now you got this new one after umpty ump years. I think that's great that you guys are out there. You're still doing it. You're still performing. You got your own podcast. Tell right? us about that. Come on. Got to give a little love to somebody else that does a podcast here. Love yep. Um, so Rock Positano, our executive producer. Hold on a second. I know one Rock Positano, but he's not in the record business. That's the one. He's in the foot business. That's yes. our Rock. Yeah, that's he's our, our rock. foot doctor. I actually went to him once. I can't believe this is the same Rock Positano. Oh my he saved God. Joe DiMaggio's life. Yes, I know. He's got the whole Joe DiMaggio thing in the office. I know all about that. So listen, it's this simple. This is what Rock likes to do with his extra time. Okay, he's a music lover. So he found us and here we are. No kidding. Bob, who was he mentored by? Uh, Ahmed Erdogan. Ahmed Erdogan, yeah. really? Bill yeah, Ramon, BFFs. Ahmed must have had a foot problem. That's what I'm thinking. Of course. It always starts at the toes, does it no, not? One paragraph. Rocks, we're, we have a pledge music campaign to do this album. It, it goes south. They go bankrupt. We get no money. Rock Positano is standing in Newport, Rhode Island, where we're from, and telling his assistant, look, I got to get a hold of the councils. God knows how that came to him, but he's seen our name about Newport. And so he contacts us. And from that contact, he is our executive producer. He's in it to win it. He's part of the equation that Last every four years. should have. Last He's four our Charlie's years. angel. <laughs> it was his idea to do a podcast. He said, you guys, you got nothing to do in the shutdown. Why don't you do a podcast? Yeah, Come he on, said, do a guys, podcast. Do Me and Bob thinks he's talking about a blog. And right? I knew what they were talking about. I knew what Rock meant because I'm younger. There you go again. It's working in my favor. And Rock said, Come on, guys. Everybody's doing it. Just go get, go get a podcast. Come on. Come on. Let's so, do this. Rock's a cow sill. Yeah, Amen. Yeah, believe it. So that's, that's so how the funny. podcast happened. Yeah. These guys kind of didn't know what it was, but once we got it going, th uh, they did. Love and it. then none of us knew Zoom. That was very ugly for months. <laughs> but we love doing it, Robert. The podcast brought us together every single week. You know, yeah, it's, it's a responsibility. You can't go, hey, I don't feel like doing it today. You, you better. Like having a dog. <laughs> Although you'd be amazed at how many people start podcasts and then give up on them quickly. Because, you know, it's a fair amount of work if you're going to do it right. Sure That's thing. right. But you guys told me that you started yours 
in the depths of the pandemic, just like I did. I was yep. in, started mine in March 2021. The there whole world had shut down. We had just put out an album in January of 2020. We played our last gig in February, and then that was it. Nobody could do anything. Couldn't rehearse, couldn't record, couldn't perform. And I, I said to myself, what am I going to do with myself? And somebody convinced me that a podcast could create a much deeper level of engagement with people than just regular social media. Because I never liked social media. It takes no effort to hit a like button. But with a podcast, you can really get something going. And I have found that to be exactly what happened for me. And it seems like it's working for you guys, too. For sure. It really is, Robert. We love doing it now. And you cross paths with people you've always wanted to cross paths with. You know, there you go. Yeah, that's a fun thing. And some you never dreamed. I always wanted to have the cow sills on my podcast. And oh, I got them. And Susan, you must be at least a teenager by now. Am I right? I think I have information. Let's try and see what we got I for think these she's last 19 bits. and holding. 19 and holding. <laughs> I Sounds am 19 great. and holding. I'm holding on to 19. We have been talking here with three members of the pods, uh, the pod sills, the, the cow sills. <laughs> oh, like Whoa. <laughs> the girls Bob, like Susan, that. Susan and Paul, I want to thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. It's been so much fun to relive all of this with you. I really mean that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Rob. everybody. And follow your dream. Just yeah, that's a great name. name. I couldn't name. wait. And I'm going to play now for you the song that started off the podcast. As I said, I played underneath the introduction at the end. It's my song called Because She Said So, dedicated to Mom Cowsill. <laughs> thank you all for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. <laughs>